Radio Outcast is a heartbreaking, gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of cults, murder, ritual sacrifice, graphic violence, and references to mass murder that may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you. (laughs) You know, Helix used to follow me around like a puppy. We were always together. And anytime we weren't, she'd tell me absolutely everything that had happened in our time apart. And she'd say, I wish you had been there. (laughs) So I put in the work to make sure we could stay together. I made the sacrifices. But the moment I so much as hinted that maybe things needed to change between us, she goes off with some human. Her precious Dre. (laughs) Well, fine. You know what? Fine, Helix. Fine. You win. You can have all the human men you want. (laughs) Let me know how that goes for you. Oh my god, so I can just hear her now. Emmy, I found an old fort, joined a rando party, went off with the first guy who made eyes at me, of course, and abandoned my friends, as usual. But turns out he's like part of a cult and wants to sacrifice me. Bummer. Anyway, wish you had been there. Don't worry, Helix. I'm right here. In fact, I'll never let you out of my sight again. The ascension will go undisturbed. Take your seat, Mr. Rogers. Turned out, old Miss Eve wasn't old in spirit. Flipped her hood down and pulled a knife on me. Sharp-eyed. Look determined. I've known women like Eve. Could take down a bull with a bouquet. So I went on. Took my seat. Didn't have no intention for blood. Not yet. Then a couple of thinkers showed up behind Miss Eve. Bunch of wide-eyed freaks with big ideas and nothing to lose. The bell rang only twice. Has the ornament not been collected? 
Well, then we must have faith that the seer secured her. Brainy folk love the gab. Must be the ego. Well, Miss Eve went on talking about some ascension, some ornament, and I listened to them. And I watched. All they carried was hunting daggers. Too shiny. Must be unused. And all I had was a couple of loaded guns and impeccable aim. You know, in that manifesto of yours, it had a bit of arithmetic. Formulas? Talking about some great pylons. This the ascension. Didn't even look at me. Just ignored my question. Kept jabbing at folks in hoods. Now, I didn't think much of those formulas. I'm more of a prose man myself. Just figured it was some architecture. But as I sat there, listening to Eve fill in all the gaps, things got clear. There's no worry about the other one. The Commandant has him confined. Are you threatening me? With a pen? Can't bring a gun to a knife fight. That'd go against my code. And I've gone this long without betraying it. So I pointed my quail pen instead. Tried to look as menacing as I could. Go on. Out the doorway. You'll tell me where my partners are. Then we're leaving. And I don't want trouble from... The firmament, it beckons. Dispose of him, swiftly. Monsieur Commandant! It seems you've mistaken me as a stowaway! Unlock this door this very instant! I'd had my night of peace from Helix and Jesse. Now, separated wherever they might have been, I worried I might never leave the Keeper's barracks. In the deepest trenches of my thoughts, I worried, perhaps, that they'd abandoned me left me for the daggers. I know that my temperament can be quite... grinding, perhaps? Perhaps this was the end for Charles Osgood. Very well! Send my regards to the town carpenter! Allow me to be crude, mistress. Uh, Emmy, rather. But the very instant I rammed my shoulder against that door, thus bursting that damned lock, thus collapsing into the empty hall, a crash of thunder fell upon Brink City, and I quite nearly wet myself. Truth be told, I figured the drunken louts had forgotten about me, 
Locked poor Osgood away for the night to protect him from... perhaps myself? Though I am no such tippler, I could be seven mugs deep and still retain my courtly elegance, no? <laughs> At the very least, I'd never cause myself disgrace or harm. I dusted off my shoulders, and as I rose from the barracks floor, I'd heard a wailing from down ways. I was unsure who or what cried out, only that it came from down the hallway, behind a great oaken door. Fortunately, as you may recall, I'd recently joined the ranks of gifted individuals, yes? <laughs> After that marvelous skating display at the Idaho rink, at last I'd found a purpose for my oral powers. None handsomer than the cowboy's immortality, I confess, but I've made peace with less. Uh, alas, I enchanted the distant voices to echo closer. The first voice I recognized immediately as the Commandant. He spoke with fearful vigor. Men, the seer has sent word. The true sacrifice has been captured. He has recognized a heavenly demeanor about her. She is our true ornament. Oh, hush. You are no longer useful for us. We shall use the ornament's two companions as accompanying sacrifices, unless you wish to join them. Very well. Men, quickly. Take these bodies to the great pylons to burn with the others. Make it quick. The firmament beckons. I shall grab the gentleman down the hall. Ah. Well. There can be no greater killjoy than mention of sacrifice. Particularly when I'm involved. Who was this ornament? And this seer character, I could not be sure. But I would not linger around for the bloody context. I returned for Sonny and then sallied forth down the winding staircase. Uh, curiously, it seemed the lower barracks' floors had been gutted. Each floor a vacant, hushed hallway, as if the dozens of unruly keepers had obligations elsewhere beyond their scant patrols. Perhaps attending this so-called sacrifice... I shivered at the idea. Ah. Now this will do! On my way out the barracks front, I found a lonesome keeper's hat dangling from a wall hook. A wide-brimmed, disgusting gray thing with a red emblem in the center. Of course, better to be safe than sacrificed, yes? <laughs> so I donned the hideous thing and made haste. <laughs> the sky had turned to an unfashionable ash, that very same gray which the Brink citizens so seemed to love. 
I spurred on across the dirt path, away from the barracks to the belly of the fort, across the barren grounds. Not a soul in sight. An entirely different image whence we arrived. Only the dubious smell of cherry trees against a coal gray eve. To the west there rose the second gate where I had passed through following the commandant. It was now sealed shut and unguarded by the keepers. From afar I could see the fruit and vegetable fields were unpopulated. This was where Helix was meant to be. If not there, then where? A sensible man, perhaps, would flee toward this direction. He would crawl the Brink City gates, hop on a steed, and disappear from these Montana horrors. And yet, there remained one fortress location where my companions must have been. Beyond the third and final gate, where Jesse had passed with that librarian, the Thinker's Gate, I turned east toward it. A great blue emblem dangled from its iron bars, waving the image of an open book. And there, far down the pathway, a gathering of shadows approached the gate. I could only imagine who they might have been. At last, the circle shall close. Keepers, open that gate. Well, Mom, um, I wouldn't be praying to you now if I didn't escape, but I'll admit... At the time when those lumbering assholes were pushing me through that gate, I, I didn't know what to think. I spent millions of years feeling secure, godly, whatever. Anyways, you know your daughter. You know I gave him total hell. Coda. Remember that mayor? In Lone Flats? Yeah. Get them. What is that? Men, cover your ears. Do not become distracted. Could have knocked down most of them. Even got Mata for a sec. But the keepers pulled their ugly hats down over their ears. Pieces of shit. The hats muffled Coda's noises enough that they stopped stumbling around. Give me your hats, fool. I need protection more than you. Now, the firmament will not wait. Stop pushing me, you... This fucking guy. He shoved me through the thinker's gate and kept shoving, shoving, pushing me along a dirt path. The little moonlight we had disappeared behind clouds. I couldn't see my hands or feet. I could only feel Mata's hand, or I guess the seer's hand, pushing against my back. When the bolts came down, the flat, grassy field around us lit up. I only had half a second. I spun around looking for Jesse, knowing he was supposed to be somewhere around here. Instead, 
Mata shoved me toward what looked like a circle of towers. Towers! Fucking towers! It was too dark to count all of them. I waited for another lightning bolt. Eleven. Eleven towers in a huge circle. And one twelfth tower in the middle, taller than the rest of them. They all looked the same, just like the towers we've been hunting this whole time. I couldn't believe it. Did did the people at Brink City know? About the powers? About me? The huge central tower had a metal thingy coming out the top. When the next bolt of lightning came down, it struck the rod right on the tip. The tower glowed bright yellow. The ascension begins. Deliver the ornaments to the center. Call me an ornament. One more time. Mata shoved me, again. I stumbled toward the center of the field, closer to the glowing tower. I I don't know how it worked. The metal on the tower walls buzzed, glowed yellow, burning with the heat as we got closer. Another lightning bolt connected with the tower's metal rod. Now the energy traveled away from the tower, slithering across the ground. They had installed metal webbings across the entire field. If my life wasn't in danger, I'd probably be really fucking impressed. The lightning went down the tower, traveled out in 11 different directions toward the other 11 towers. I made one more effort to look for Jesse or even Charles, but found nobody except Mata and his cult-worshipping assholes. Mata stepped in front of me and opened a small door leading inside the big central tower. This close, the heat could melt your face off. I closed my eyes and he shoved me one last time. I could hardly see anything. Inside the tower, there was a narrow staircase made of wood, and the only light came from a tiny square window near the top. I took one step up and then another. But something reeked. I smelled... blood. For a pack of fools that call themselves thinkers, they sure aren't very thoughtful. Carrying around knives like they know what to do with them. Well, they didn't. Dispatched them real quick. That librarian woman came at me with a dagger to my face. He had the luck to kill me. Wild eyes and big wet teeth. All it took was a smack to her wrists. Her knife went flying across the room. Figured that shut her up. It didn't. She had the bright idea to start throwing books in my head. History tomes, biographies, 
cookbooks hurt the worst. I caught an almanac in the air and sent it back her way, right in her stomach. Knocked that librarian clean out. Took out the other thinkers with fists, elbows, and my ink pen. Couple jabs to the arms. Shouldn't be fatal. Just a couple scars as a reminder. Don't fuck with me. Now where are y'all? Once I busted out the library, went round the building and caught sight of those great pylons old Eve was riding about. Far off and away, they lit up the field like twelve lighthouse beacons. But that wasn't no fire on top of those tires. They seemed charged up from something else. Glowing. Could hear them humming a mile away. All's good. <laughs> I must have fooled you. <laughs> you were a heartbeat away from getting sent to the sticks. Indeed? Well, perhaps I have a late-stage career at the Gaiety Theater. Save it. We're in shit here. You know where Barefoot is? Ah, about that. See, the only information I have is of some sacrifice. The Commandant spoke of some ornament. This dreary place could certainly use one. <laughs> Seems we were in the wrong place, right time, or other way around. Could be the name of my story. Whatever it was, Brink City had been expecting us. Somehow, they knew to get us separated. Seems every day is a move on someone else's chessboard. Me and Charles moved on, out toward the towers, these pylons. Charles told me about him getting trapped in those barracks. Got real proud about busting down the door. Figured I wouldn't kill his joy, telling him about the room full of thinkers versus me with an ink pen. Anyhow, we didn't have time to argue. Charles said he didn't see a soul near the front of the fortress, nor the middle. Only place that remained were those towers. My mind started pushing smoke. What if they did something to Helix? That call for breaking the code, no doubt. Do you see anything? Them bell tolls, four of them now. Been counting them since we showed up. Keep walking. The closer we got to the towers, the taller they became. They glowed hot and high in the sky. Eleven of them and one in the center, glowing brightest. It drew all the attention, kept our eyes to the sky, and didn't notice what was on the ground till it was too late. What on? Oh dear. It's a proper festival of delusion. Surrounding us, spread out across the field in hundreds and hundreds, those cult freaks. Bent on the earth, foreheads pressed to the soil, arms flailing wide in some sort of ritual prayer. 
Charles tripped over some leg. They ain't budge. They kept worshiping, their bodies facing that central tower. Aside from me and Osgood, only one man stood. He walked up to the central tower and pointed to the sky. He looked real familiar. As the vision I saw, as the woman who appeared to me moons ago in my dreams, she was the woman, the goddess, the empress of time. As she foretold, the marriage of three, the final thinker, keeper, and maker, and that maker being our ornament. And just as the time goddess foretold, she said to look for the lightning bolts. We look to the sky. And then last nightfall, the ornament arrived wearing earrings of lightning bolts. She would be our great maker. And the time goddess, in her great generosity, sent along two others, a wise man and a handyman, to complete the ritual. They would be our great thinker and keeper. Now, let the ascension begin. Let the sacrifice begin. We shall forge a paradise. Goddess of my dreams, Empress of time, do you receive our sacrifice? <coughs> that laugh. I know this voice, this woman he speaks of. After that wild man's ranting, me and Charles started hearing a loud knocking. Sounded like someone shouting from behind the wall. The only direction was up, inside that buzzing central tower. Suppose Helix never did play the damsel. There she was, kicking a hole out of the tower wall. Must have been made from wood planks with metal etchings. She broke through a soft spot, her bare foot poking out into the air. <laughs> then she kept kicking and punching until a sizable hole showed in the tower. Elix poked her head out. Bad news was, soon as folks looked up at the tower, watching old barefoot peep out the top, they started noticing me and Charles. All the hundreds of them slowly rising up from the earth and turning our way. They looked to get rid of us, one way or another, sacrifice or nuisance. Seven thinkers with knives, that's no problem. But hundreds of deranged Montana fools, all we could do was try and get out of there alive. Folks started ganging up and closing in. Seemed Charles was waiting for the right moment, and that he did. That good old firmament. Use what you got, Osgood. It's about to be a coat rodeo. What I've got? I've only got Sonny and then there's... Oh, quite. (laughs) 
Charles planed the thunder like a horn, using them new powers against the colt. He stretched the sound until it became long, unbearable. All them colt fools clutching at their ears, howling out, and they dropped like flies, myself included. Cut my ears and fell to the ground, but it gave Helix the right opening she needed. She jumped from the tower, came down like a stone right on that cult leader. Could have swore I heard his back snap. Hmm, hope it did. Regardless, me and Charles booked it, ran to help her up. Her. I, I, I heard her. Emmy. Indeed. Indeed, we need to scurry. That is Emmy, you said. What a strange name. An entirely unfamiliar and strange name. Ah! No! Don't! That cult leader ran up on us. Took a dagger at Charles' stomach, but he got that beeping machine instead. Saved a dandy's life. Before the man could remove his knife from the machine, I grabbed his arm and twisted He grit his teeth in pain, snapped his arm apart. His hand slipped from the knife and he fell to the ground. He wouldn't bother us anymore. He... That ogre just... No time. Forget that. The tower. No power. We need to find it. Oh, well, that's sumptuous. In that case, we have 11 more towers in this field to scout, and yet poor Sonny has just been massacred by that troll. One bell tolled when we showed up, and two this morning. Right. Uh, it, it rang two more times when that piece of shit dragged me here. Oh, am I to guess what the fifth bell toll means? We had our answer immediately. That huge central tower erupted, lit up like a pyre and shattered into wood strips and metal bits. Seemed it was always meant to explode. If Helix was still inside it, she'd be nothing but scraps too. Figured we were meant to be there too. Me and Charles, the thinker and maker for their little sacrifice. And what for? Or for who? sound of it, could have swore a beast walked the earth. But far afield, four of those great pylons went crashing down, each right next to each other, going left to right. One tower, a second tower, a third tower, 
a fourth tower surging with electricity and exploding into bits, then tumbling. The heavy metal rubble crashed right down into the stone walls of the fort. Look, those towers burst a hole in the fort wall. It's our chance. We can climb the rubble and get out. But four towers down? She's she's sending me a message. She's fucking with me. I know it. Who? Yes, who? I've no idea. Emmy. These towers. Listen, you heard Mata, right? The, The seer, whatever his name is. He talked about a time goddess. I heard her laugh. This... All of this, it's its Emmy. She's manipulating human lives to fuck with me. Those four towers that exploded, it's like the four towers we've come across already. She's mocking us. She's telling me that she's been watching. We're just in a stupid fucking game with her. Hear that, Emmy? Fuck you. Fuck you for manipulating these people. Fuck you for leading us here. Fuck you. Very well, then. We don't have time for this. Once these cold assholes get the gumption, they'll stampede us. Right. Follow me. On the run, again. Always on some chessboard. As we made way toward the busted ramparts, noticed Helix's feet all bloody. Must have been from kicking a hole in the wall. And behind us... Them cult folks were charging after, waving their knives around. Helix sent her bird thing back to confuse them, and Charles with his sonic powers. But me, was just trying to strategize. All was good. Send it to the horses. Fast. I'm gonna run to that tower. Gut feeling. What are you? What what is she? What are we doing? She went right off toward the next pylon. Had the towers went on collapsing, it would have been the next to explode. The five o'clock hen. Helix had it in her gut. Was the fifth tower. Suppose it made sense in her own way. Come on. Get your horse and let's go. Helix, listen! I touched it! I touched the tower! Nothing happened yet, but I... Well, I'll be threaded. Soon as she slapped that fifth tower, not ten feet later, it charged up and exploded, bringing down more of Brink City's walls. If Helix's head went up just a few moments late, she'd be dead now. This isn't over, Emmy. Horses ready! Up the rabble. Let's go. We mounted up. Charles on his. Helix hers, me on quarter. Then we charged over the ramparts rubble, looking out onto the long Montana nothing. 
bunch of cold green nothing and no beeping machine to guide us. Behind us, we waited for more towers to explode. None did. Helix led the pack, galloping forward. She didn't want us to see it, but I did. The tears falling from her face, her flapping the reins in anger. Seems she discovered something there, in that central tower, about everything going on. Helix, have you received a new power? Does it matter? It's not useful right now. Just keep writing. I want to get the fuck away from here. We rode on. Eventually, Helix settled out from the funk, told us of her return power, some ability to read emotions. Charles asked what he was feeling. She said he was nervous, and for some reason, guilty. Charles didn't talk after that. For me, Barefoot said I was contemplative. Suppose that's true. As we tracked out from Miles City, Brink City, whatever, the sky opened like a curse was lifted. Sun came out and shined our way, our aimless way, toward what we could only assume was another tower. Was there another tower? I think so. Counted twelve towers, one in the middle. Eleven circled round the field in a ring. Four fell down, and seven stood high. Seven towers. They're out there, waiting for us. All we've got to do is survive that long. Seven towers, and Barefoot gets her powers back. Seven more towers, and I get rid of this immortality curse. Then, only then, can I get my revenge. I will avenge you, Jacob Rogers. Like Joshua and the walls of Jericho, the impossible was made real. He broke them walls down. He rose. I will rise. Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidal-Rosaga and J.T. Lachese, and produced by Anne Hughes, starring Ivory Amor de Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Maria Fernanda Vidal-Rosaga as Miss Eve, Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood, Griffin Otto Deniger as Mata and the Commandant, Jay Duong as Helix, Daniel Sotelo as Coda, and Anne Hughes as the Maker Woman and Emmy. This episode was written by JT, directed by Fernanda, with dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, and theme music by Samuel Kinsella. But before I go any further, check out this trailer from our friends at Caldera Studios for their supernatural fantasy, Where the Stars Fell.
This is routine update log number six for Dr. Edison Tucker concerning my research into the town of Jerusalem, Oregon, and the existence of the supernatural, paranormal, mythological, and etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Since arriving, I've definitely encountered some stuff that could be classified under weird ass. The other day, I found what looked like claw marks in the vegetable patch wiring, and nobody in town will talk to me about the picnic area near Lincoln's farm. Although, it could be because everybody thinks I'm one of those monster-hunting idiots. Which I'm not, okay? I am an experienced professional who takes my work extremely seriously, and I am going to prove this if it's the last thing I ever- oh, Dr. Tucker, what have I told you about keeping samples in the fridge? <sighs> Although to be honest, I think the biggest mystery on my hands is how I'm going to survive living with Lucille Kensington, stuck-up extraordinaire. So, if you guys don't hear from me again, it wasn't something in the woods that got me. Probably. Where the Stars Fell. Streaming now wherever podcasts are found. As always, you can find Radio Outcast online at RadioOutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at RadioOutcastPod and Twitter at Radio underscore Outcast. Make sure to stay tuned for a season one wrap-up Q&A, where you can send us questions about the production and glimpse behind the scenes. If you like what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. This helps us reach more listeners, and it gives us a chance to see what you all think of the show. If you aren't sure what to say, but you would still like to show your support, you can rate the show on any of those platforms and also now on Spotify, at the top of the Radio Outcast page, right from your phone. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. We have tons of content available right now for our patrons, and much more in the works while you wait for season two, like behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, and bonus content, including our very first Q&A session with our lovely producer, and Hughes. But if that's too big of a commitment for you, if you become a patron at the Coda tier for as little as just $1 a month, you too could get a special shout out at the end of our episodes, like Kyrie O, who cleaned tables at a Lone Flats saloon before becoming the Wild West's greatest harpist, Gnome H, who found a walkie-talkie out in the Arizona deserts and made a pretty good penny selling it off to a collector of oddities. Pat C., who had tea with all six vice presidents of the Den of the Trade in Salt Lake City, but he found them rather annoying, so he went to have tea with the vice president of America. Alan L., who was there in the kangaroo court of the heavens, but was busy finishing a crossword puzzle, and so he missed the drama between those two feuding goddesses. Dan W., who went to a fabulous cartographer's banquet where he met a chatty dandy, Grover Cleveland, and a pissed-off Texan with a shotgun. But he can't remember who was who. Melissa L., who saw the Sam Vogel gang fiddling with some railroad tracks, and so she poured some itching powder into their belongings while they slept at camp. Sarah F., who works the concessions at the Rink on the Moon, where she saw the most incredible rollerblading competition the heavens or earth has ever known. Rax W., 
who attended that party at the mayor's mansion in Lone Flats, and while no one was looking, nabbed one of those pretty Edison light bulb contraptions. Marcos L., who rode his steed through Miles City, Montana just last week, and he heard those cult weirdos having a celebration inside the fort. The vibe was bad, and so he rode on. Patricia D., who was so good at three-card Monty that folks in northern Utah asked her, kindly, to teach them her skillful ways, lest she run them out of house and temple. VCA Staging, who bumped into our beloved trio as they trekked southeast and even gave Helix a nice aloe vera salve for her feet. Lisbeth S., the hyper-pop musician mastermind of the 1880s, who DJ Furtrap loves to spin on the table when the crowd wants something extra funky. Val V., the stenographer for the court heavens, who typed as fast as she possibly could to document Emmy and Helix and Spectra's intermittent legal spats. Someone give her a medal. Juan P., who opened a saddle shop in Salt Lake City, where he met a gruff, kind cowboy looking for a custom saddle that reads, All a man needs is one quarter. Andy S., who went looking for oil out in the dry lands of Monument Valley, he overheard a couple drifters playing some strange word game called Never Have I Ever. Aaron B., who met a nice young lady out in Albuquerque looking for some paint supplies, and since Aaron has connections with the local art guild, they got the girl a good bargain. Physics, who invented a cheap and cruelty-free method for producing makeup, just sold three massive crates of product to Miss Marigold and her cohort. Susan D., who actually helped build that library building inside Brink City. But once she started seeing some strange literature, she decided to dip out of there and head down to Denver. Fearless Lila Rose 300, who used to party with Helix back in 1987 New York City, just landed a major contract for couture fashion wear, the Fearless Lila Rose label. Catch their clothes at Barney's on 5th Avenue. Chelsea S., the most famous strange fiction author of the Gilded Age West, wrote most of her novels on the comfort of a hay bale in central Idaho. Sebastian, a journalist in the heavens, didn't know how to report Emmy's latest tantrums. First, she opened a time rift, then she warped dinosaurs and pirate ships into the Elysian Plain. But did that even need reporting? It's not like anybody could miss that. And lastly, Peter E., who grew up just outside the Enchanted Mesa in New Mexico, saw a strange obelisk pointing high into the sky, and then the very next day, he was suddenly gone. To all of our patrons, thanks again. We appreciate you. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us on this journey, and we'll see you again soon. And as always... Safe, Safe travels. travels.